1: Let's go over to the mailbag and we're just going to dive right in. Let's just get, let's get after it. And we're going to start off here with, uh, with Rob Osgood.
2: Rob's question mailbag. I am hoping for a boot camp style spring ball. Basics, 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 get the basics down, then expand, get the young guys ready. Yep.
1: And then he kind of goes on with a, this is where his question kind of comes into play.
2: Said guys in previous shows, you talked about the defensive line in depth If you were the defensive line coach, what would be your rotation? What would your rotation look like with the defensive line?
1: I mean, that's kind of what we talked about at the beginning, though, Ryan, is is I don't know what it would look like right now. I mean, guys need to guys need to be able to compete for those jobs. I mean, if I were to play a game right now, I would because like you always have to start somewhere. You have to put 11 guys out the first time you take a team rep. Right. Some you have to figure out who it is. And sure. right now, you know, first day of practice, I would go with Javante Jean. Actually, you know what? I'd probably go with Nana Osafa Mensa at big end because I wanted my returner to get that you know first crack at it. You got you're a newcomer; you got to beat them out. I'd go Nana Osafa Mensa as my number one big end. I'd go Jordan Patel my Viper. Riley Mills is my three technique, and Howard Cross is my nose. Uh, after that, I'd have J- J- Junior tulamaka and Josh Burnham battling it out for the Viper rotation. I'd have. G- Javante Jean-Baptiste and Alexander Ahrensberger, And I'd throw Aiden Gilbyra over there battling for the filling that out. And then Gabriel Rubio is going to play because he played last year and got better and better as the season went on. You're going to see uh, Jason Onye get a chance to compete for a job. You're going to see Donovan Heinisch, you're see Tyson Ford. I'm, there's somebody I'm, I'm missing off the top of my head, and I a, a veteran interior guy, I believe. And I Howard Cross? I already have him as a starter. you know. But you need to see those guys battle and compete. But, I, I, I mean, look. If I was the coach, what would the rotation look like? If I was the coach, I'm walking in there saying, hey, guys, there's nobody. We weren't good enough last year for anybody to feel like they've got a spot locked down. Everybody's got to earn it. Here's what the starting lineup, here's what the first depth chart is going to look like on day one. But this is, I'm writing these in pencil and I'm writing it lightly in pencil. Go compete. That's what I want. Marcus Freeman always talks about how it's about competition, competition. Look, all the drills you want to do about competition don't mean a thing if players aren't actually able to compete for the st- for for spots that's the ultimate competition in, in when, when you talk about like non-game events there's no greater thing that creates a a a, an, a culture of competition like i don't care who the returning starter is we're going to play the best guy and everyone's going to get a chance to compete for that especially in the spring so I, that's where i want to be ryan that's where i hope that they are and that's where i would want to be if i was the d-line coach that, that's yeah. for me
2: Well, I mean, I think that interior defensive line is going to be the most interesting, in my opinion, as far as how it fills out because you know kind of who your start. Well, you know who your starters, on in theory, are going to be, right? You have Howard Cross obviously inside. You have Riley Mills inside. After that, I mean, the next wave should be, in theory, Gabriel Rubio. And it should be, hopefully, a guy like Jason Onye is a guy that kind of steps to the forefront. After that, it's about Aiden Kiana getting back from his injury, getting more, you know, getting opportunities, hopefully, at some point in the spring. And then it's Devin Houston is obviously the other guy inside that we know as an early enrollee will be in there. How quickly he asserts himself on the depth chart will be a conversation piece and something to kind of keep an eye on. But I think that you nailed it, Brian. For me, it's, you know, that Viper position, especially Jordan Patelho, but you need guys like Joshua Burnham and Junior Tua Elamaca to really make an impact in that Viper room. And then big ends, you know, like Javante Jean-Baptiste is the known commodity on a college level perspective. But I'm really interested to see what 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 Aaronsberger does this offseason, man. Like I, Alexander Aaronsberger is one of the toolsiest defensive linemen that you have on the roster. Like he has... A lot of God-given ability It's just about, hey, how are you able to assert yourself? Are you able to assert yourself? Are you able to take a step forward? Those questions that need to be answered. The only other player that I'm really interested in is Tyson Ford this spring, right? Like, is he a guy that sticks at big end? Is he a guy that plays a little bit inside? I'm interested to see where he ends up in the rotation perspective because I can't really give that a great answer right now, Rob, honestly. Because I, what what, like, I don't know what his weight's up to right now, right? Like, I don't know how he's progressing in the weight room. I don't know what his body looks like right now. That's something that we'll obviously find out about over the next 24 hours.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
1: got one here, Ryan. I'm going to read because it's a recruiting question for you uh, to answer first. Wade Garrett says, where do you feel our recruiting is right now, uh, Notre Dame's recruiting is right now compared to this time last
2: year? Same momentum, better or down a bit? I mean, when you look at who's committed this time compared to what last year, it's very similar, Wade. It's just kind of flipped a little bit, right? Last year, the offensive class, was a big question mark. Last year at this time, you had Cedric Irvin Jr. and you had Cooper Flanagan as the lone offensive commits. Defensively, you were like, oh, man, we're cooking there, right? Like we got a lot of dudes, Keon Keely, Peyton Bowen. Like you felt really good about what the defensive class was at this point last year. This year, you feel really good about the offensive class especially, right? Like you feel good about C.J. Carr and Cam Williams and Peter Jones and Aeneas Williams. That's great. Defensively, there's guys that you get excited about for sure, like Leonard Moore and Carson Hobbs and 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 you know and Owen Waifel inside. But there's more bigger question marks, I would say, on the defensive side of the ball. It's, it's similar to what it was last year with the offensive side of the football. A lot of questions. So momentum-wise, I think offensively there's better momentum in a lot of spots than it was last year, in my opinion. You feel good about where you are. Defensively is the big question mark. Last year, defensively, you felt – you know, good about not only the state of the class, but also where you were trending with certain guys and where you were kind of moving forward this year, I feel like it's just kind of a flipping, right? Like the momentum is on the offensive side of the football this year. It was on the defense side of the football this year, this time last year. And I think that for me, it's about, you know, offensive class. I expect to fill up in a really good way. I think that that offensive class is going to end up being very good. Defensively, you have question marks and it has taken a step back as far as what the momentum was compared to last year. From Call Me Ty says, what was the most interesting spring you can remember since you have been covering Notre Dame? It was probably the one going into the 2018
1: season, Ryan, because I remember that spring and you saw like Chase Claypool really going off. You saw Miles Boykin really going off. A lot of the questions you had about that team started to get answered. You know, how good are they going to be at safety? What's this Gilman kid from Navy going to do? you know, cause he had missed the year before he played, played as a freshman at Navy. Was he going to be an impact guy or not? Can he play? You start to see that spring like, yep, this guy can play, you know? So I think that to me is that spring was really fun to watch because you're like, okay, this team's got a chance to be really good. You know, can Dexter Williams be that guy? Well, Tony Jones had a good spring that year too. Dexter had a good, uh, actually I don't remember Dexter De- was Dexter suspended that spring or was it the fall i think he might have been suspended that spring or he had some issues that spring and you're like man if this guy doesn't step up you know he's going to be in trouble tony tony jones has a good spring that year you started to see that that offensive line you're like man i don't I, what's this offensive line going to be like i'm not really sure then you see like liam burke or Eichenberg really settling into position alex bars had a really good spring so he kind of felt like the offensive line was going to be okay so you just kind of watched this unit over time just evolve throughout the spring to where you felt going to 2018 like this team has a chance to be really good, and they built on that the season before where they went ten and three and had their kind of the bounce back from four and eight, and then they went out and made the playoff. And you could, I wouldn't say that I necessarily was like, oh yeah, they're definitely making the playoff, but you could look at them and say this team's got a shot to be pretty good this year because you saw some guys really step up and emerge that hadn't. I mean, Liam Ikenberg is replacing a top ten draft pick. You, you know, I mean that that wasn't an easy deal. Aaron Banks has to be is being tasked with stepping in and replacing. You know, a a top draft pick. Alex Bars is is now he's hey, you're now Q. You're the you're the dude. And he was moving, he was moving into you know, he was um, not no actually he was staying a guard. He moved into guard the year before. You know, but you have Tommy Kramer now battling for a spot, Robert Haynesy stepping into the lineup, right? So you start to see these guys really step step up and make plays. And, and the the, the only question mark at the time was quarterback. That was the big question mark is, is there a legitimate quarterback battle? Is it going to be Brandon Wimbush? Is it going to be in book? But man, you started seeing the pieces around them really start to emerge in 2018. And you started feeling really good about what that team could have been.
2: Got one. Here we go, Ryan. From Josh Buffo, the motivational business banker. What coaching technique would you like to see Joe Rudolph do first with his offensive line that Harry Heestand may have done that you think would benefit them? I mean, Brian, I think it's like. He may not have done, yeah. Oh, what he may have not have done. That's a completely different question then. I was yeah. going to say, what I want similarly to be is to finish through the block, through second level, right? Like you used yeah. to see. Harry, he stands offensive lines in practice, and I only really saw you know a couple practice of him, but they used to not just drive defenders off the ball, but they would work to finish through the second level. So finishing blocks is a big one. But what he wasn't doing, I mean, I guess – you talked about this a little bit, though, Brian. Like you, you I think you said before, and, and sorry if I misquote you here, but I thought you said something that you thought Harry Heath pass blocking off offensive line, like on the offensive line, could have been a little bit better at could times. Better. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Now it was better last year, but part of that was when I mean, you had really big time tackles, right? But yeah, I thought that was always an area that could have been improved. And again, we're talking about nitpicking something that's not as elite as the run blocking, right? But I thought they did a good job last year. But, I mean, that's the thing. Just continue. It's what it is, Ryan. It's enhancing what's already been established. That's the nice thing yeah. that Joe Rudolph is stepping into. Dude, you don't have to fix something that's broken. Mm-hmm. He he already did that. Harry already fixed what was broken. He already, like, sealed up all the cracks and replaced what needed to be replaced. And it's all, it's all looking good. Now, your job is to build on that, make it even right. better. And so I don't know if there's anything that, that I would say not to do. I, I would have rather talked about what you thought the question was, Ryan, which is, He needs to continue building on just that power, that driving through that first line, working up to the second level, really getting that physical push in the run game and, you know, making sure that you also can protect the quarterback. Those are the things that you need to focus on. But that's already been established, in my opinion.
2: I think communication is a big thing, too, right? They're continuing to evolve the combo blocks to the second level and to be able to communicate with one another because it's, it's a very interesting relationship with offensive linemen when you're comboing because there's a lot of unspoken conversations that happen, right, where you're just like, you understand, like, oh, he's got the leverage, now I'm off, you know, and now I can release yep. and work to the second level. Like, there's, but that's, that's also a different type of communication. That's body language, you know that, right? Yep. You know, understanding when and when not to get off of a combo is very important, obviously. So I think just kind of that communication up front is a big thing as well. Here's an interesting question here, Ryan, from uh, Archer452. Archer says, outside of Notre Dame, what other spring ball storylines are you following? I mean, I, I think media, I think national perspective is going to be talking a lot about the the Texas quarterback battle, right? As far as the you were, I think quarterback at, as, at large, right? I mean, look, if you think
1: about it, there's the quarterback battles. You know, there's a perceived competition at LSU. Although I don't, I mean, look, you always say like if a guy outplays him, but I mean, I don't. I don't. I thought Jalen Jay, was pretty good last year.
2: Do they say that's up for that's a competition? Some LSU guy did. I saw
1: on Twitter huh. once, but huh. for me, Ryan, it's just so many top teams are going to have new quarterbacks this year. You know, Alabama's going to have a new quarterback this year. Georgia's going to have a new quarterback this year. Ohio State's going to have a new quarterback this year. Clemson's going to have a new quarterback this year. Uh, George, I think I said Georgia already, but there's yeah. a lot of teams. TCU is going to have a new quarterback this year. So there's a lot of teams. Penn State's going to have a new quarterback this year. Uh, there's just a lot of guys that are um, a lot of top teams that are just going to have new quarterbacks this year. How do they do? And then does that does that change the top quarterback allow some teams that maybe weren't quite top teams but have veteran quarterbacks coming back, like Washington, USC? Can they take advantage LSU in the West? Can they take advantage of their continuity and and dynamic ability at quarterback to take advantage of the fact that these other teams are not like, so for example, LSU has a huge opportunity this year. They beat Bama last year. They, they won the West. Alabama hasn't not won the West two years in a row and forever. Can they be the team that knocks them off that pedestal and take advantage of the fact that, Hey, yes, you have to go to Tuscaloosa, but you return a quarterback situation that's really dynamic, whereas Alabama's a Liffey quarterback right now. You know, that's a big storyline for me. Uh, What's the – I mean, can Auburn find a quarterback? Who's going to be – you know, Ole Miss has a new quarterback this year. He's a new – you know, Notre Dame, how's a transfer quarterback portal going to impact the college football? You know, is Spencer Sanders that missing ingredient for Ole Miss last year? That they – I mean, Ole Miss had a couple games last year, Ryan, where – you know, you thinking for a couple quarters, like, hey, they got a shot to win this game. And then all of a sudden, you know, they'd fade in the second half. And a, I mean, honestly, a big part of that was quarterback play. I I still believe Ole Miss beats Alabama if their quarterback play wasn't so bad. Same with Mississippi State. You know, so you no, know, they go from eight and five to maybe ten and three, 11 and two, just like that, if their quarterback play is better. But is Spencer Sanders that guy? That I don't know. Yeah. Right? That that's the question mark. That's what you're recruiting them to be, though. So there's some really interesting quarterback storylines just throughout college football. And then there's the other things like, you know, the Pac-12 race is is good. Look, it may not get the national attention, but the Pac-12 race this year with USC, Washington, Oregon, Utah, UCLA, Oregon State is going to be fun to watch. It is. And part of it is what? They're all returning quarterbacks from last year, except for what? Oregon State. And you know how bad their quarterback play was last year. DJ Uyunglele is an upgrade for them. That's yeah. how bad their quarterback play Sign- was.
2: Last year. Significant upgrade <laughs> too.
1: Significant <laughs> upgrade. That's how bad their quarterback play was last year, Ryan. You know, so I mean, it's just so fat. It's it, and then here's the thing. You know, look, Georgia, you got a chance to do something that I mean, ha- have we ever seen? When was the last time we saw? Um, I mean, I- I'm curious. What's the most consecutive? and I'm typing this. Uh, national championships that we've seen in college football have we ever seen um teams win three minnesota and yale are the only three straight undefeated or three straight undisputed title winners princeton um see here i'm trying to like, and i think minnesota did that a long time ago uh so here we go princeton did it in the 1870s yale did it in the 1880s they won five in a row and then three in a row from 86 to 88 Michigan did it from 1901 to 1904. The last time it was done, Ryan was 1931 to or 1934 to 1936. So last time a team won three titles in a row can Georgia and that streak, do they become even a more dominant version of what Bama was than what Bama was, or do they kind of start getting a little bit too big for their britches or Maybe they have the right attitude, but you've lost a ton of talent over two year stretch. And that's where you can sometimes like it wasn't the first year we were able to handle it, but it was the second year we had another mass exodus of guys going to the NFL that drew us back. But of course they've recruited incredibly well in that in that time period. So there's just a lot of stuff like that, Ryan, that makes me, you know, wonder you know, how Georgia is going to be and not even wonder like, Oh, I don't think they're going to be good. just wonders. And like, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I'm just really curious to see what they're going to do this year. And so it's, it's going to really be fascinating. Do, do some like, does Tennessee take a jump or do they take a little bit of a step back? You know, since again, so some of these coaches going into year two, like Marcus Freeman and Billy Napier and some of those guys take a jump in year two. It's going to be fun. And then of course, it's so the last year of the big 12 for Texas and Oklahoma. How's that dynamic? That's going to be an interesting storyline all year. How badly do all those big 12 teams just want to punish? I'll tell you what, if those teams get behind, you're going to see people running that score up on them this year. If, yeah. if they're, they, But they may not be able to. They may just be too good. How does Brent Venables do in year two? Part of that year two thing, right? So I'm excited about this season because there's just so many, so many intriguing storylines. Are Here's one. Is Matt Rule going to finally be the coach to get Nebraska back on track?
3: He's brought in some intriguing
2: transfers this offseason, by yeah. the way. There's a couple of guys on the roster and I'm like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I don't I don't know if it's gonna be a year one fix, right? Like maybe they can get to a bowl game. I don't I don't know what right. the future holds, obviously. Right. Yeah. But
1: they're maybe. not gonna win
2: a title this year, but if sure. they go
1: win eight, nine games this year is like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's just gonna be it's gonna be a fun year, man. It's gonna be a I think it's gonna be a really fun year. And and of course, you know, there, there's another name. What kind of damage is Iowa gonna do? Because they added two really good weapons to their offense for them this offseason. Yeah. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be fascinating. Very, very fascinating. And I want to get a bonus in my contract that if I produce mediocre results, that I get a bonus, like uh Brian Ferentz got in his contract. Right. What well, I mean, if they got scored like 25 only, points. Only a game, 25 a, a game in
2: college game, man. It's a break. Yeah. Very, yeah uh... <laughs>
1: exactly. You know, you always say you shouldn't get rewarded for doing your job. Yes. And uh, um, but like, that's not even that. That's not even doing your job well. That's just like showing up. I mean, 25 <laughs> points a game for a power five team. Come on, man. It's gross, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it is what it is. Let's get to some more. Quarter, here. Quarterback right.
2: development was so bad that we're like so excited about Cade McNamara being the yes. quarterback at <laughs> You're not joking.
1: You're just, Ooh. you're, you're not joking at all. Here's yeah. a, here's a question right? I'm going to ask you uh, yeah. from Josh Buffo, the motivational business maker. What freshman defensive player can Notre Dame plug into this defense that would make them scary fast at all
2: levels? What Notre Dame defensive play, freshman defensive player, Man, that's, that's that's a tough one, man, because I think that for me, like, I mean, my immediate response was in my mind, I was thinking like Jay Nosberry at Rover, that right? Spot, like that, yeah. that's that's the one. Cause yeah. it's like every other spot, it's like, you know, Christian Gray, I think could play a lot as a freshman if you needed him to, but like, is he an uh, upgrade over Cam Hart and Benjamin Morrison in year one? Like, I, I doubt that obviously. Right. And that, but then there's other spots where it's like, Year two, year three is going to be when Bubacar Traore is potentially that guy most likely, right? That's going to be when Brendan Vernon is that guy. So are they going to be able to do that year one? Probably not. But I think Jay Nosberry is the one man where like, you know, if, if that rover position is really up for conversation and let's say that he has a fina- fantastic spring and he figures into that conversation in the fall, I think he could be a dynamic weapon in that spot.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I don't, but think they, they have speed. It's just Maris Lufau can run. It just—he doesn't always know where he's running to, so you know that's kind of a, a bigger, a bigger thing for me. Okay,
2: here here's another one from uh, Archer. Archer says, "Would you like to see a spring college football season to, for backups, freshmen? Make it shorter season, six to eight games, and don't count it towards their eligibility, but give young guys reps and more games for fans."
1: No, I don't want to see that at all. That's a, mon- that's a money, it's a maker at all. I don't, we don't need to see games in the spring, right? I mean, here's what I want to see. I wouldn't mind seeing them have some opportunities for uh, freshman and redshirt freshman practices. Kind of like what we, what we would see at some of the division three schools, Mountain Union used to do this. I don't know if they still do. I would imagine they still do, but they would have two practices and yeah. it would be like the, because they, because at the division three level, a lot of those private, small schools, The football team is the driver of male population in the school, right? So we'd bring you'd bring in like I think my last year at Defiance, we brought in like seventy five freshmen. That's at a place like Defiance. I mean Wittenberg and Mount, you're bringing in like a hundred freshmen a year, and so you'd have like literally like freshman practice because you can't coach two hundred some kids. So you'd bring you'd have a freshman practice. What I would like to see them do is to have like almost like a mini camp for the young guys. Give them like five non padded practices, helmets only, where you're able to go out there and take your freshman and redshirt freshmen that did not that that did not like surpass eligibility last season and say, you're gonna give them like five non padded practices before spring camp starts to help them kind of get acclimated, you know, go over stuff and just do things like that. I would love to see something like that. But as far as a full spring,
2: no, nah, I wouldn't want to, I, I don't want to. I don't want to see a full it, it, spring. It, it'd be tough to also, you know, marry the conversation of like, cause you want those younger guys to also be around the team, right. For the spring and to be, you know, competing on a day-to-day basis. I feel like if you get into the scheduling of an alternative schedule that like takes away from team time, right. From coaches time and to be able to really develop those, because that's one thing that I think we underrate about spring. It's not, yes, it's about guys getting better and starting to figure out roles and you know, that kind of that baseline, but it's also like, players developing relationships with one another right and to be able to become a team like that's kind of where that baseline starts as well so yeah i think that that's uh i think it would just be a little hard to manage a full seat full, full schedule yeah. on top of trying to get them acclimated to being a part of a football team as well for the yeah. fall right you got time for two more ryan
1: and then <laughs> we'll be done with this we'll be out of here here's one from tyler smith i'm gonna ask this ryan because i want to get your thoughts on this yep Tyler asked do you guys think Tommy Tremble could have been a Michael Mayer if Brian Kelly would have worked with him more don't think I've ever seen
2: a better blocker at tight end than Tommy well I mean Tommy was a better blocker than Michael Mayer like there's no doubt about that I just I don't I, I think that the biggest thing that we underrate with Michael Mayer is that his physical traits aren't incredible right like he's He's got good, though, lateral quickness. He's got good hip flexibility. He's got good straight line speed. But nothing about Michael Mayer physically is truly elite. The thing, though, about Michael Mayer is that he's so natural at so many things, right? It's like plucking the football is just easy for him. Going up and maintaining body control is easy for him. Like there's just so much natural, like just easiness to how he plays football. And I just don't think Tommy was just quite as natural of a football player as what Michael Mayer is. That's no shot at him because Michael Mayer is – one of the best that we've ever seen at the position in Notre Dame history, right? But I think that for me, I I, I don't think that he would have quite gotten to, to Michael's le- level. Would he have gotten better and more productive in the passing game? For sure. But I don't think that he would have gotten to that level because I just don't think he's quite as natural at some things as Michael is. Well, he's not as big. He doesn't catch
1: the ball as well. Yep. And he's faster than Michael was, but, I mean, Michael was just a better all-around player. Yeah. Tommy Tremble should have been used more. Agreed. Part of the reason Tommy wasn't used more was Tommy. I mean, yes. he didn't have the focus as a young person that Michael Mayer had. I'll just leave it at that. But yeah, I mean, but he should have still been used better and more effectively. But part of the reason that he wasn't used more is because as last year there, they had Michael Mayer, <laughs> you know what I mean? Who was as a freshman, a better pass catcher than Tommy Tremble was. My issue was never that Michael shouldn't have been number one. My issue was that, they shouldn't have stopped throwing Tommy to trumble the ball once Michael became the one. They should have used them both. That was more of my issue. And then here's the here's the last one, Ryan. And, and we'll get okay. out of here after this.
2: From Archer. I know you guys have talked about the lack of depth in quality in the 2024 class across the board. What position is the deepest? Cornerback and safety both see, seem pretty solid. I deepest. would not view
1: safety as deep.
2: I I think Cornerback tight end- is. Tight end's pretty deep in my opinion. Yes. So I think tight end's very yes. deep. O
1: line's pretty deep. At well, in interior O line is very deep. I don't think yeah. tackle is as deep as the inside. Sure. Running back to me is the deepest position on the roster. Like it, it is. Quarterback all of a sudden became very deep. I mean, Steve Angeli and Kenny mentioned you're battling for the number three. Uh, I thought five. I thought
2: he was talking about recruiting. Was, oh. Am I wrong here? I thought he was talking about recruiting. I could be oh, wrong. Oh, class.
1: Oh, yeah. Sorry. I read no, it's that fine. wrong. That's no, my it's bad. Fine. Um, 24 class, Ryan. Tight end is is deep. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Receivers uh, very My receiver is very deep. Yeah. Very, yeah. I mean, the linebacker, I mean, we're talking offers. They've offered a million linebackers in defensive alignment. I don't think the linebacker class is very good. No. Uh, it, it, just for me. It's just, it's just not. Yeah. It's not very good cornerback class i think it's a pretty good cornerback class ryan i think it's a pretty deep. i don't know i haven't seen a lot of stars yet like really yeah. elite guys i haven't seen a lot of those yet but it's a lot a lot of good there's a lot of leonard moores and john mitchells and jeremiah Newcombs and guys like that there's a lot of that at corner this year Safe,
2: safety is very good safety's i agree with virtual on that one yes yeah
1: yes I said no because I was thinking of the team. Yes, <laughs> but recruiting wise, yeah, it's a it's a great safety class. Again, is there anyone as good as Caleb Downs? I haven't seen that guy yet. Don't think so. Yeah, yeah, but um, it's a really deep safety year. I mean, people are upset they missed out, and, and I get it. I'm frustrated too, but there's still some dudes on the board. I've said this before. If you give me a three man class of of Jalen McClain and Kennedy Erlacher and Davis Andrews, Ryan, I'm I'm happy. You know, and I would even consider a four-man class now that Brandon Hillman's out of the class and, you know, give me Marquis Gallegos as my third or fourth safety. And again, that's a darn good safety class. Is it elite? No, it's not elite, but I'm going to have a pretty good football team if that's my safety rotation, you know, um, and love to get DeJuan Lane. He's not coming to Notre Dame. He's not interested in Notre Dame. It's just not there yet. It's unfortunate, but just the reality. Um, Yeah. So. Jalen McLean, baby. All boats all yeah. ahead. We'll see. Uh, Ryan, I know you got to run. We just – I am going to wrap up, but we did get a super chat here, so I'm going to read that from Michael S, and then we'll get out of here. So Michael S asked, why did the Notre Dame defensive line perform so poorly against the run at USC? Scheme, talent, other – I think it was a lot of it was scheme. I mean, number one, they didn't wrap up really well. I think the bigger issue was, was uh, the linebacking core against USC it was a much bigger issue for me. And so – when I look at that game, they did a lot more three-man fronts, and some of the four-man fronts were not real aggressive. The linebackers were bailing. They were basically giving USC the run in that game. They were almost daring USC to run, which to me um, just it wasn't the way to go. I thought they should have been more aggressive. I mean, honestly, Michael, it, I thought they should have turned the D-line more loose. I think that was an issue, that they didn't turn the D-line more loose. Some of the, uh, the very Most of the success they had was because the D-line was able to get penetration and pressures. I think the linebacker play and the overall scheme, it was too passive. They didn't let the defensive line attack. They left way too many just gaping holes that they just couldn't fill because of some of the stunts and stuff they were doing. And USC was really smart in how they went about it. I just think Lincoln Riley outcoached Al gold in that game. It's just simple as that, in my opinion. Uh, so yeah, I uh, that's kind of where I'm at. So that's all, that is now that is going to do it. We're going to wrap up right there, uh, folks. Before you hit the road and and leave us, please hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. Make sure you tune in tonight at six o'clock to the Ivy Nation Sports Talk. They're going to have Tariq Bracy on tonight on the show tonight, talking about his NFL draft prep and some other things. So that'll be a cool interview. Tariq's a really good kid. So you're definitely want to check that out. So uh, make sure that you give that a view tonight. If you have not done so, hey, folks, please sign up for the message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com. You are really going to like what we got going on there. Make sure you are definitely, if at least to be a podcast, give us a five-star review. We'd great that, greatly appreciate that as well. If you want to check out our free content at irishbreakdown.com, you can sign up for the daily newsletter at the bottom of the uh, – you'll find that in the description box below as well along with a lot of our other links, including the link to our message board at boars.irishbreakdown.com. So have a great rest of your day, folks, and we will talk to you again very, very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.